What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? And we're back today with the series we've been doing all year. It's another episode of that, our weekly recap episodes. Uh, we're going to go in with three up, three down, our usual. Each of us going to talk about three quarterbacks we thought played well this week, and then another three who not so much. Uh if you haven't already, check out our Pro Bowl episode. We just dropped that uh, uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, talking about kind of midseason, who we think uh, is in, is close to in, and is just outside with maybe a chance to get in there. Uh, and if you guys haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at PD34 underscore for PD and at Real Potty 2 for me. Uh, we'd appreciate it a lot. And if you guys have been enjoying these recap episodes or – the Pro Bowl episodes, the series you did on, over the offseason, anything. Just please like, follow, subscribe, do what you can to support. And with that being said, I think we jump right into our three ups, the three positives, and I'll let you get started with that, PD. Yeah, so best performance of the week by a good distance, in my opinion. That goes to Dak Prescott against yeah. the Giants. Now, of course, we got to put an asterisk on it because the Giants are a tragic football team, but... Um, that doesn't take away from the absolute monster class that Dak put forth. He was unreal in this game. Um, he puts the ball in harm's way twice with two turnover-worthy plays, and I still came away with this one thinking that it was borderline flawless because those two plays were the only bad plays. <laughs> um, looking into how it went on a play-by-play basis, it started off with a couple of easy four- and 12-yard completions, um, and then he hit C.D. Lamb in a tight window in stride. C.D. Lamb makes a great one-handed catch. Uh, for a 30-yard gain. Um, after a few uh, short co- or completion for no yardage and a string of incompletions, um, that was the last time during the day that Dak would go out of rhythm because the next play, he hits Jake Ferguson wide open for a 15-yard gain. Um, and then an ap- after an incompletion um, and an eight-yard scramble on third down, um, the Cowboys punch it in for another score. Um, the next drive does end with an interception, which was Dak's fault, but he quickly ends up making up for it. In the second quarter, he has a short completion for nine yards, um, and then they pick up a big chunk on an intermediate pass to Brandon Cooks um, for 25 yards, and then throw, Dak throws an, a great throw um, to C.D. Lamb uh, for 26 yards, makes a great play scrambling um, out of the pocket, um, and, and chucks it deep for a big completion. Um, after a couple of short completions and then in completion, he has another 10-yard completion and then another 34-yard completion where he hits Brandon Cooks in a tight window, absolute dime. Um, incredible play from Dak there. Um, one of very many impressive throws. Um, and then he com- comes back with another string of completions for 7, 16, 17 yards. Um, and after a couple of short completions, he has a 10-yard scramble for the touchdown. Um, in the fourth or in the third quarter, um, because he doesn't play in the fourth quarter, uh, third quarter starts it off with an incompletion, but then comes back with seven, four and four yard completions. Um, and throws a great pass for a 21-year completion. Now, this one, I think um, C.D. Lamb was also a big contributor, but it was a great throw by Dak nonetheless. Um, after this, he has an incredible tight window completion to Michael Gallup for a deep touchdown. Uh, Michael Gallup kind of has to carve his route back to the inside, but it's a great throw nonetheless. Um, and then he hits Brandon Cooks for a 34-yard gain. This was one of the best throws I've seen all year. Dak... Um, takes deep play action drop, um, steps up in the pocket to avoid an interior rusher, and then gets absolutely cracked in the ribs 
while throwing it deep down the field. Just an unbelievable throw. Um, the next one, uh, he has a dropped interception, which was his second turnover-worthy play of the day. Uh, he finishes day off, the day off with another intermediate completion to Brandon Cooks that goes for 32 yards, um, and then another completion that goes to CeeDee Lamb for the touchdown. So um, giant, giant chunk plays all over the place for the Dallas offense. They looked absolutely unstoppable, and um, Dak was definitely at the forefront of that. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a lot about this in the Pro Bowl episode, just uh, which we just dropped. Dak Prescott's been on an absolute tear these past couple of weeks, and this week was no different. Uh, I like that you mentioned uh, uh, CD a lot in these last uh, in because uh, in the last couple of weeks he's been huge for him. But in this week he's been, he was able to get Brandon Cooks going. A lot of those deep shots were falling for him. Uh, it was he was looking very good in this one and moving on to another uh, NFC quarterback who is in our good this week and this one a little bit of a surprise I'd say uh, maybe not right now because of how well he's played this season but in general it's been an absolute surprise and it's been great to see and it's Josh Dobbs versus the Saints this week he looked really really good to me he did have one turnover worthy play that doesn't come up in the stat sheet. However, just plenty of uh, big-time throws the rest of the game that make up for it. For me, that turnover-worthy play came in the, I believe it was the first quarter. Uh, it was an interception that was called back due to a hold, I think, on his first touchdown drive. Uh, I did think that was a pretty bad read and did deserve an interception, and he does kind of get bailed out by the referees here. But aside from that, he had plenty of huge throws that uh, absolutely made up for it. One, a couple that stick out to me is early in the game. Uh, one of his first drives, I remember him off of play action, throwing a corner to Jordan Addison, which seemed like it was double covered. But he layers it just over the DB, uh, over the linebacker's hands underneath, and puts it just high enough to where only Addison can go get it over the DB. It was an amazing throw, maybe not the best reads, but he was able to make up for it by just delivering a dime. Uh, we also saw him get out there and play make a little bit, a couple of passes, like there was one third and five pass to TJ Hawkinson where he was able to get out of the pocket, scramble right, and kind of just find him for a huge game, get them inside the 10-yard line. I also thought his touchdown pass to TJ Hawkinson was huge. Uh, the second, uh, the one in particular where it was roughly 25 yards just down the middle of the field. Huge. Uh, his other touchdown uh, run was also incredible. Showed his playmaking ability again uh, off the play action, kind of just running about down on the left side of the field and is able to recognize that no one's open, just gets in there. Uh, surprisingly enough, even though it was a huge part of his game, like throughout his career, I didn't really expect Josh Dobbs to be huge, not only in the run game, but be able to use uh, those legs to be a big time playmaker. Cause I just didn't think, even though that was, he's an athletic guy and maybe that's in his skill set, I just didn't think that was something he could do. And he absolutely disproved me in this game. And I thought him and Hawkinson, that connection looked amazing. Hawkinson was like a safety blanket for him, but it wasn't just that. He was also going deep down the middle of the field. He was running crossers. He was running corners. And Dobbs was just able to hit him consistently all over the place. Even despite not having 
his best weapon by far on this team and Justin Jefferson was supposed to be back despite having a run game that aside from himself was pretty non-existent in this game. They were missing Alex Madison was for most of it and Ty Chandler, even though Madison's not the best, Ty Chandler I'd argue is even worse. And he was still able to come out and put up a great performance. His connection to Hawkinson and Addison was great. Uh, didn't really take any sacks or didn't really have to deal with much pressure, to be honest. But still, great job at avoiding sacks and only that one turnover-worthy play for me. Very good game for him from Dobbs. Yeah, Dobbs has been a lot more impressive than we thought. Um, he's been a strong backup in uh, Arizona, and now he's in this short stretch of games in Minnesota. He's looked even better. He's looked like a starter. Um, hopefully he can carve himself out a starting role for next year. I would really like to see that. He was a pretty entertaining player. It seems like a good guy as well. All right, so let's move on to my next guy, and that's going to be CJ Stroud. Back-to-back weeks in the good category, um, and it's for good reason because the Texans, man, they were absolutely running all over the, the Bengals' defense. Um, and let's get started. So on his first drive, uh, the Texans start off with a big 12-yard gain to Tank Dell. Um, and then CJ Stroud has a couple of incompletions and they punt. Um, the next drive for um, the Texans, CJ Stroud hits a deep one to Dalton Schultz. Beautiful pass there. Um, hits another one to Robert Woods for a 15 yard gain. Um, and then has a couple of incompletions. Um, and then an incompletion um, ends up killing the drive. Um, dri- or the drive ends with um, CJ Stroud dropping the ball on a, on a snap. So. That one was one of his turnover plays on the day. We'll get to the other one near the end. Um, the next drive is uh, a Houston touchdown drive where Stroud only has to make a couple of passes, but he made them count with um, a short pass that goes for um, a big time gain to Tank Dell, um, and then another one to Noah Brown, and then to Tank Dell for the touchdown. Um, the next drive ends with a fumble. Um, but this one wasn't really on Stroud, kind of gets hit while he's throwing. Um, on that drive, has a nice short pass for a 19-yard gain to Dalton Schultz, um, and then another couple of short passes in there as well. Um, and the final drive of the first half, um, a field goal drive, CJ Stroud hits Noah Brown on a beautiful pass um, for a 28-yard gain. This one kind of, they boot him out to the left, um, throw it deep. Um, and then on third and 13, he hits Noah Brown again for a big, big time chunk for a 29 yard game. Um, the rest of the drive doesn't really do much, a short completion to, to Mike Boone and a couple of incompletions in that drive. Um, but the second half is when it really starts to heat up in terms of the quality of the game. Um, field goal drive, um, to start the next one as well. Um, it, <clears throat> on second and seven, CJ Stroud hits Noah Brown for another deep gain for a 20-yard chunk, um, and then hits Tank Dell for a six-yard gain. Um, hits uh, John Mechie in the intermediate area for another 19-yard gain, um, and that drive ends with a field goal. Um, and then um, CJ Stroud um, on the next drive, um, they draw a big deep defensive pass appearance call, and then he hits Devin Singletary on a short screen type of pass. Um, and they get a touchdown out of that. Um, the next drive, just not much to say. Um, Stroud has a short pass and then throws an incompletion to the tank. Dale just misses him. Um, next drive, a touchdown drive. Uh, Stroud hits Noah Brown again for another deep chunk um, and scrambles then for a touchdown. That was a good play by him, recognizing um, the space in front of him. 
Uh, next drive from CJ Stroud, not too much to say. He hits Santel for a 19-yard completion, and the drive ends on an incompletion to Noah Brown. Um, the next drive is an interception where Stroud nearly throws a pick six, just seems to not recognize flat defender. I think uh, Tank Dell kind of carries his uh, route a little bit high, but Stroud, after Tank Dell makes that mistake, sees that and still decides to throw it. Um, and that's why it ended up as a turnover winning play for me and not uh, just a miscommunication. Uh, and then the second to last drive ends with a field goal or ends with um, a punt. Uh, Stroud can't hit Tank Dell down the field. Um, and then the final drive where the Bengals finally um, tie the game. Um, looks like they're going to make a big comeback, but Shroud, it's a beautiful pass to Noah Schultz, or Noah Schultz, Dalton Schultz um, down the seam, um, and then hits another one to, to Noah Brown for a big gain. Um, and that puts the Texans in strong field goal range and they end up winning the game. So Stroud in this one, able to generate a ton of explosives. Um, Texans offense really helping him out. Um, the most impressive throws that he made, I think, were the one to Noah Brown where they booted him out to the left and he threw it back across the field for a big chunk. Um, and just generally, I'm really, really impressed by the Texans offense. They're able to generate pass concepts that put defenders in conflict constant, constantly, um, and they are so aggressive pushing the ball down the field, Stroud and Bobby Sloick. Um, as long as they're not overly running the ball, I just find it really, really difficult for the Texans to be stopped. Um, the way that they can mitigate the issues that they have with personnel protection with the offensive line injuries, um, it just gives C.J. Stroud and the offense such a good uh, ecosystem to work with and another great performance by Stroud, despite the fact that he had two turnover plays in this one for me. Yeah, I love what you said about both Stroud and the Texans' offense. I also absolutely agree that Slowick's kind of scheme here has – as I mentioned in the Pro Bowl episode, what Stroud has been like a match made in heaven. We saw what Stroud could do uh, at Ohio State with the deep ball. And Slowick has made it so that it doesn't matter that they may not have the best receiving talent in the league going downfield. They have people who are capable of doing that. They have concepts that gets guys flying open all the time. And Stroud's able to make those throws. He's got the touch to deliver it on point downfield. Uh, and still let them his guys move in stride. It's been incredible to see. Uh, I I also agree about all the big plays he made. To me, the one thing I do really want to emphasize is that last interception. And to me, this would have been another one of those games, kind of like his previous week with the Bucks, which was just standout, highly highly elite, one of the better games I saw all season. And that one play. Uh, didn't ruin the whole game for me. Still very good performance from him, but definitely lowered it significantly. And to me, it's kind of the biggest point to talk about here with Stroud because that seems like a clear rookie mistake to me. Seems like some uh, a very an inexperienced move. It was a third and two. They were up 10. Uh, yeah, Tangdell, like you mentioned, PD didn't run the route uh, the best, but it did seem like that was clearly getting undercut. He just seemed to miss a linebacker completely and almost threw the game away, to be quite honest. He makes up for it massively uh, with that field goal drive at the end of the game. But uh, but that drive and a couple of drives back-to-back there where they're forcing punts, and when you make a play of that magnitude, that negative for your team that late in the game, especially given the situation, you often don't have a chance to recover. Luckily, Stroud was given the chance, and he made up for it absolutely on that last game-winning drive. 
But to me, that's a very uncharacteristic play, especially with Stroud, who's done so many pick, uh, so few picks, I should say. And for it to happen in such a key situation, such a boneheaded pick, too. Like, there was no miscommunications there, really. He didn't make uh, necessarily the right read and just miss it. It was just a completely wrong read, completely wrong time, just something he can't do. But I don't really expect that to stick around with him. And still... Uh, Amazing performance regardless. Uh, And moving on from one rookie QB to another very young quarterback, almost like a rookie still at this point, who was able to make a huge, huge comeback game off a bye week, and that's Brock Purdy coming in with his first good game in a very long time. And my biggest takeaway from this before I even jump into the game is maybe there was some truth to what we were talking about in, again, that Pro Bowl episode where the, a lot of Purdy's bad stretch came off, off, of, off of tough hits he took in a lot of those games. He seemed to be concussed in some of those. And that's what caused seems to have caused a lot of those boneheaded mistakes because, granted, he has come back and it's not like he's a completely different player. But at least we're seeing the Purdy that we saw early in the season we're not seeing the guy who's just constantly missing throws and throwing into harm's way late in games for no reason. Now, this game wasn't close whatsoever. Maybe it does have to do with the pressure of those close games. We have yet to see, but as of right now, the verdict is still out. Uh, but regardless, he was still incredible in this Jaguars game. You could even see from the stats. He was 19 for 26, 296 yards, three touchdowns, uh, only two sacks. No picks, no no fumbles, a uh, very clean game from him, and it reflects in the film as well. It starts off very early. You see it on that first drive. He hits George Kittle down the sideline in not necessarily tough coverage, but is able to kind of just use his touch and drop that right in there in his hands, uh, and he's able to keep going, and as George Kittle does, break a couple tackles, it'd be tough to get down and makes that a big play. And the next play, I'd argue, is one of his worst reads, but by far one of his best throws of the day. We see him kind of rolling left, and he throws it back across the field towards the middle of the field and throws it high and right to Brandon Ayuk, who's kind of covered. But he's able to just still fit that in there, dart it in there, and make an incredible throw to Ayuk. And I know even Kyle Shanahan has already spoken on it, a lot of what I'm saying right or about to say right now is coming from him but to me and to him seeing that film that was not a good play obviously not a good read he's coming across the left side I think the design wanted him to hit hit someone either in the back left of the end zone or in the flat kind of make that read easy for him and he chooses to go back across with two guys on Ayuk I believe or within the vicinity and Ayuk makes an incredible grab and Purdy makes a Incredible, incredible throw to fit that in there. Uh, It's something that I don't expect Brock Purdy to be making long-term, and that's maybe why I don't necessarily want him making that throw, but still a great throw here regardless. And we saw a couple more of those throughout the game. On the next drive, you saw a a big pass down the middle of the field to Ayuk for roughly 20 yards. He's able to fit it uh, in a very tight window, uh, get it to Ayuk on a crosser, uh, and we saw that a couple of times throughout this game. Uh, 
uh, another one coming later in the same half where he he's just able to fit it to like Ayuk uh, on a corner type of route. Ayuk has leverage and he's able to just layer it in there, get it to him. A lot of quick passes to McCaffrey as well. As always, this Diners team was very, very uh, utilizing Christian McCaffrey a lot. And uh, as he always has throughout his time at, in San Francisco, Purdy's done a great job of dumping it off to Christian McCaffrey when he's open, getting those easy yards, letting him work in space. Uh, another one of his biggest throws of the day came on the first drive in the second half. And to me, this is what kind of ended the game, this and the ensuing interception from Lawrence. Uh, but we see George Kittle kind of get wide open down the right side of the field uh, off a of busted coverage. And I won't say completely wide open because George Kittle does have a DB trailing him by maybe a yard or two. And this pass is roughly like 30, 40 yards downfield. So Brock Purdy does need to throw a dime here, deliver it right on target, and he does exactly that. Puts it right on the money for Kittle, delivers it on the bread basket. He doesn't have to take a step off away from his stride and is able to run that all the way in for the, a touchdown. And yes, Kittle was open, but to me, I see a lot of quarterbacks maybe underthrow or overthrow that throw slightly. They still get it there, but it ends up being a big completion that doesn't lead to a touchdown. Purdy is able to put it in the perfect spot for it to continue and end up being a touchdown. Uh, we see one more throw to uh, Ayuk, big throw, uh, when they're up 27-3. I believe it was a third down as well, and we see him throw it deep right, very similar to that earlier throw, and just uh, hit him uh, downfield on another one of those outbreaking type of routes. This one was also very tight coverage, but he's able to fit it in. And just overall, very, very accurate game from Purdy. Looked clean throughout like I mentioned earlier was hitting all, all of his throws and not only this was one of those games where he wasn't just accurate but the ball placement was great too a lot of the time uh, he was getting it right on the money where it needed to be not only underneath but on deep kind of throws it seemed like that connection with Ayuk has revitalized to what it was earlier in the year and as we know Ayuk is one of the better route runners in the league and with Purdy able to kind of deliver the ball to this extent. It really, really highlights Ayuk's skill set, Kittle's skill set as well, because he's also always open. He's a mocking mismatch. And historically, the Niners have not been able to use that to its best ability. And today, or in this game, they absolutely were. So great, great a game from Purdy all around. Uh, and he might be back to the form of what we expected out of him from earlier in the season. Yeah, very impressive game from Brock Purdy. Um, throw that he made to George Kittle off his back foot um, with pressure in his lap. Um, just throws it down the right sideline with a defender trailing Kittle closely. And um, I was really impressed with that throw, and that was part of an exceptional day for Brock Purdy. All right, let's move on to Jared Goff, um, who is another quarterback playing in a great system, and he was incredible in this game. Um, just not making any mistakes. Um, a couple of really, really nice throws down the field. Um, and I'll get started. So on the first drive, um, a short pass to Sam Laporta, and then off the play action, a deep crosser to Amon Ross St. Brown for a 46-yard gain. Um, then he hits Jamison Williams for a touchdown, but it's nullified by um, a penalty, and they end up kicking a field goal. Um, on the next drive, he hits Amon Ross St. Brown for a seven-yard gain, um, and then Jameer Gibbs does the rest for the touchdown. Um, the next drive, they get um, turned over on downs, but um, Jared Goff makes a couple of nice passes, a short one to Khalif Raymond, um, and then another one to Brock Wright. Um, 
And then he hits Amon Ross St. Brown for a nine-yard gain to the one um, on the Chargers' 10-yard line, but they can't punch it in for the touchdown. Um, th- but that doesn't matter because on the next drive, uh, Jared Goff hits Jameer Gibbs on a short pass for a 24-yard gain and then hits Jameson Williams for a 13-yard gain. Um, and then after that, another intermediate pass for a 14-yard gain to Amon Ross St. Brown, and then Jameer Gibbs does the rest, punching it in for a touchdown. Uh, the next drive is David Montgomery just running a 75-yard touchdown house call. Incredible run, one of the best I saw all week. Um, and then the next drive in the the, uh, the first drive of the second half, um, Jared Goff has a couple of nice throws, um, one to Josh Reynolds for an eight-yard gain, um, and then hits Amon Ross St. Brown in the, in the intermediate area of the field for a 15-yard gain. Um, and then the drive stalls out into Chargers territory. Uh, they're forced to punt. Um the next drive is a t- another touchdown drive where Goff hits Josh Reynolds for a seven-yard gain um, and then hits Amon Ross St. Brown for a big chunk for a 33-yard gain, um, and then he takes a screen pass in for uh, a 20-yard touchdown. Uh, next drive, another touchdown drive. Um, Jared Goff hits Jameer Gibbs for a 14-yard gain and then hits Sam Laporta on back-to-back plays for 25 yards um, and then hits Brock Wright on a beautiful play-action uh, shot up the seam for a 25-yard touchdown. Um, and then the game-winning drive for Jared Goff um, gets them into field goal range with a short pass to uh, Khalif, or a pass to Khalif Raymond where he takes it for 41 yards, um, and then a couple of completions where um, he nets nine yards to or 18 yards or I can't do math, uh, 15 yards for Jameer Gibbs, Amir St. Brown, and uh, Sam Laporta, and they kneel the ball out and get the game-winning field goal. So Jared Goff, extremely clean game, doesn't put the ball in harm's way, makes a couple of really nice throws down the field. Um, and yeah, one of the better performances of the week and a string of performances now from Jared Goff where things have been absolutely clicking for the Lions offense. And uh, he has been at the helm of it being um, an extremely good manager with the football and making plays all over the place. Yeah, absolutely agree with your take on Goff. He's having an incredible season and absolutely on a tear right now. And this game showed once again why that is. This kind of whole line scheme they have offensively is just working perfectly. They're great at running the football, and Jared Goff's one of the best play-action quarterbacks in the league. They're able to work off that perfectly. Amon Ra just seems to always be open over the middle of the field. And Jared Goff has done an amazing job of exploiting defenses like that. And this Chargers defense was an amazing example of it, too, because they're particularly weak, in my opinion, at least, in that like linebacker core, especially, uh, and also DBs in terms of lining up against Amon Ra. And I just think all those in-breaking routes they were running with Amon Ra over the middle of the field, there's just no one to cover that area and take that away. And they were just able to go to that all day. And Jared Goff just did a fantastic job. Uh, and going to the guy opposite of him who was on the, well, not benefiting end of Jared Goff's amazing game here and the Lions offensive game. And that's Justin Herbert. And Justin Jer- Herbert probably putting up, at least in my opinion, his best game of the season so far, uh, despite, despite a close loss. And I feel like games like this always push that narrative that Justin Herbert cannot win these types of games. And I think this game was just another example of it. Not Games like this are not really his fault. The defense is really highly at fault. They weren't able to stop the Lions whatsoever this entire game. And granted, Herbert was not perfect in this game, which I'll get into in a second. He starts off very slow. But looking at his stats, you can see he was very, very good. And the uh, the film uh, 
backs it up as well. He was 27 for 40, 323 yards, four touchdowns, uh, one pick, which I'll get into in a second. No sacks, no fumbles. Uh, overall, pretty clean game from Herbert aside from one play. Uh, and like I had mentioned, he does start off a little bit accurate, uh, a little bit off uh, his game, he, a little bit inaccurate. I thought it, those first couple of drives, uh, they would die because he did miss his throws here and there. And the biggest one to me was that interception. Uh, I do think he was trying to throw the ball away on that play, but he just simply doesn't get enough on the ball to get it to the sideline. And that's a pretty pretty bad mistake from a guy like him who not only has a huge arm but has the IQ to be able to not make those um, make those mistakes uh he kind of sails it over uh Everett's head going the right side of field and right on the sideline there's a D uh, there's a DB there just to pick it off one of the easiest picks they could have had uh, he just needs to get more on that and throw it away, uh, especially it's a second and eight. He definitely could have lived to find another down and pick that up on third down, but it's fine because he absolutely makes up for it on ensuing drives with big throw after big throw. Uh, one of the bigger throws of the day and kind of starts off this rally the Chargers made through the last three quarters to come back and almost win this one. Uh, one of those bigger throws was a 30-yard touchdown pass to Keenan Allen down the right side of the field. And this touchdown pass was incredible because that DB was draped over Keenan Allen. He was right there step-by-step step with him. Keenan Allen did have a little bit of inside leverage on him, and Herbert uses that perfectly is able to deliver right on that inside of Keenan Allen, puts it in the bread basket to where the DB doesn't really have a chance to go across Keenan's body and get it. And Keenan is able to bring it in for a huge touchdown play, pinpoint accuracy from Herbert, and we see a very similar play on the next drive from him. Also to Keenan Allen once again uh, for, I'd say, I think this was another 28, 29 yards. And this one to me was an even better throw. This was in double coverage, I'd say. He had a guy underneath him and a guy layered over him. And Herbert's just able to drop that in with touch, something he struggled with a lot this year. And just kind of drops it in in between those two defenders in pretty uh, a pretty tight window. And Keenan Allen's able to bring that in on the left sideline. Another huge, huge throw from him. And from then on, that entire second half, it was just touchdown drive after touchdown drive. Every single drive that Justin Herbert had the ball, he scored a touchdown in the second half. And a lot of big throws along along the way once again. Uh, we saw another uh, big play to uh, Jalen Guyton for the next touchdown pass. He passes his right right on the back corner of the end zone, is able to fit it in in the perfect spot to where only Guyton can get it, even though there's a ton of traffic there. Uh, a lot of potential people could have picked it off, and Herbert still puts it in the, per in the perfect spot. Uh, the following drive, we see a huge throw to even Quentin Johnston getting him involved. A uh, big 17-yard pass that gets the a big conversion and puts them in the red zone uh, for an easy score. Uh, just overall, great, great game from him. He was very accurate throughout. And I think the biggest thing for me in this Herbert game was he was very good while being aggressive. We've talked about throughout the season how Herbert has kind of decided to change his game to be a lot more aggressive, not really as conservative and of avoiding of turnovers as he has been in the past. And 
he struggled with it. Admittedly, as someone who's a huge Herbert guy, it's not something that's comes natural to him. He doesn't have the touch to be able to do it. And it seemed like maybe he wouldn't ever be able to get to that point. But this game, to me, has shown the opposite. Uh, I did believe in Herbert as a guy who could develop that. In this game, he was making a ton of touch throws. It wasn't just darts that he was throwing downfield to make these passes happen. And some huge passes. I didn't even mention on the fourth and one, he throws a 38-yard touchdown pass to Keenan Allen, one of the biggest plays of the game. Ties up the game for them and had his defense made a stop, maybe even given him a chance to make a game-winning drive here to win it for them. And that touchdown pass to Keenan Allen also was just on the money, downfield roughly 40 yards in the air, and you wouldn't think it the way it was just on a line to Keenan. Huge, huge game from Herbert, absolutely makes up for that early pick, uh, doesn't take any sacks, shows that amazing uh, sack avoidance from him, just fantastic game from him. Yeah, really complete game. Um, the one turnover where they play with the interception, but he entirely made up for it with big throws down the field. All right, so let's get into the bad games from quarterbacks this week. And I'm going to start off quarterback who's now out for the season, unfortunately, um, and that's Joe Burrow. Um, this game was very up and down for Burrow. So um, the first drive, um, he put together a string of short completions, um, just checking it down to the likes of Tanner Hudson um, and throwing short generally. Um, to guys like Joe Mixon, but then he finishes off the drive on a third and seven with a beautiful pass, a whole shot to Trent Irwin for a big-time touchdown, um, one of the better throws of the week. The next drive, um, a number of short completions, um, not really pushing the ball down the field at all, um, ends with a scramble on third down that gains one yard, um, doesn't get them anywhere near the first down. Uh, next drive, again, they just kind of stall out um, – Burrow has a couple of short completions, but not enough to get the first down. Um, uh, the next drive, again, the same thing. Um, but this time, they start running the ball, but Burrow throws an incompletion on third down to, to Hudson. Um, the next drive, another three and out where um, they get into a tough spot because Burrow takes a sack on second down, uh, puts them behind the chains. On third down, he hits Shamar Chase for a 13-yard gain um, to make it fourth and one. Um, could have been a go-for-it spot, but since he doesn't end up going for it. Um, and, yeah, they just kind of saved their energy for the second half, I guess. Um, in the second half, Burrow uh, takes a sack, gets uh, hit pretty hard, and fumbles the ball, but Cincinnati's able to recover cover it. That's his first turnover-worthy play of the game. Um, the next drive is a field goal drive. Um, Burrow has a string of bigger plays, um, hits – or first has a scramble on first and 10 for a 17-yard gain, um, then hits Tyler Boyd for a 14-yard gain, um, and then finishes off the drive with a string of uh, shorter completions to Tanner Hudson and then Tyler Boyd for 15 yards total, and then he takes a sack on third down, which forces a field goal attempt. Uh, next drive, uh, a touchdown drive, um, he hits Tyler Boyd for a short gain, um, and then uh, in what was probably his best throw of the day, Scrambles out on a second and 12 for uh, towards the left and just chucks it deep to Jamar Chase for a big-time throw, 30-plus um, yards down the field. Um, and Jamar Chase takes it all the way for a 64-yard touchdown. Very, very impressive throw from Burrow there. Um, the next drive, it ends with an interception. Um, so Burrow has a couple of short passes, um, first one to Tyler Boyd and then to Drew Sample. Um, and then he tries to push it deep to, to, to Drew Sample. Um, this one, I don't think it was on Burrow, really. Um, he's expecting 
sample to kind of co continue to carry the route up the field, but he kind of bends it into inside. Um, and that results in the interception, but not to worry because Burrow does uh, have his own turnover worthy play later um, where he wasn't punished for it. Um, he hits Jamar Chase on the next drive for a 23 yard gain. Um, and then after a string of incompletion, it hits another one to Trent Irwin for a 22 yard gain. Um, oh, I, I forgot to mention the, one of the incompletions to, um, that I mentioned there. So to Trent Irwin, he's trying to push it deep down the field. Um, and he misses just by a little bit ahead. Um, and that turns into a turnover worthy play. Um, anyway, getting back to the, the rest of that drive, um, he hits Drew Sample for a three yard gain. Um, and then hits Jamar Chase again for a 16 yard gain, but, um, on the next first down, trying to push it deep aggressively to the end zone for Tyler Boyd just kind of miss, misses a defender, I think. Um, and that just results in a very easy interception. So bad play there for Burrow. Um, so that's his third turnover-worthy play of the game. The next drive, um, easy touchdown. Um, there was an incompletion to um, Trent Irwin, but um, the, Cincy, the Cincy offense was able to easily punch it in. Um, the next drive, um, Burrow's final drive of the game. Um, hits Tyler Boyd for a 64-yard gain. Big-time play there from Tyler Boyd. Um, he takes a sack um, on the first down, which I thought um, was really critical for them because on the next play, he's able to uh, get a yard uh, on a running running play. But then on third and uh, goal from the 13, he's trying to push it deep into the end zone for Tyler Boyd, but just has it go off Tyler Boyd's hands. Could have been a touchdown to take the lead. Um, forcing Houston to drive down to score a touchdown rather than just a field goal. But uh, Tyler Boyd drops it, and um, that's the end of the game. So collectively for Burrow, this was really up and down, made a ton of incredible plays, um, but also the three turnover-worthy plays. So it kind of balanced out to slightly below average to average game for me. But, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't put him in the good here, and I wanted to talk about it. So this one goes in the bad for me. Yeah, I also agree with you here on Burrow. I also thought he did a solid job in general of staying toe-to-toe -to -toe with that Texans offense. He did have a lot of big plays that delivered blows to them and were able to obviously score this Bengals team a lot of points. But I absolutely agree that the interception-worthy plays in this one were too much for me. They definitely took away from what he did. They were a little bit... Even for for a guy like Burrow, who's normally so accurate, great at making those sort of reads, just seemed uncharacteristic. And I think the amount of sacks he was taking, we can no longer blame it on the injury. He seems healthy, or I mean, was to a certain point in this game in terms of his legs at least. And obviously now, which we will talk about in a second, he's not going to play anymore the rest of the season. So maybe not the most healthy guy, but... At this point, in terms of the sacks he was taking, I didn't really think it had something to do with his health, just him trying to do too much in some cases or holding the ball too long. Yeah, it ends up being a bad game for me too, and it may not seem so from the uh, uh, the box score. So definitely a good game to look into. And moving on to his uh, divisional opponent, who they actually faced off just uh, the other day in the uh, th Thursday night game, which took Burrow out for the rest of the season. And that'll be Lamar Jackson, who had a rough game versus this Browns team. Uh, somewhat understandable considering it's uh, uh, the Browns, a very elite defense. And even though this was a bad game for me, I do think uh, one of the biggest takeaways from this game for me was that 
Uh, it's not as bad as it seemed to be. I think a lot of people overblew this Lamar game to be really, really bad. And for me, that wasn't necessarily the case. I think part of it was the fact that they did take the ball from him at points. He was It was a huge volume passing game for Lamar. And yeah, part of that was because the rushing game uh, was working decently with Keaton Mitchell, but they also didn't really go to that a whole lot. I feel like they took it uh, the ball out of Lamar's hands a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit concerning considering this is their franchise guy and especially with no Mark Andrews for the rest of the season now. They're going to be relying on him a lot to make plays, so maybe a little concerning there. But to me, the biggest reason that this wasn't really as bad as it may seem on the box score, where it was 13 for 23, 223 yards, one only one touchdown, two picks, three sacks, uh, a lot of felt like he was pressured all day. But to me, those two picks weren't really as bad as uh, two picks should be. The second one, to me, wasn't really his fault at all. Uh, it was a tipped pick that goes in the air and ends up falling in uh, a Browns defender's hands. I do think it's his fault to throw it where he was because uh, there was a defensive lineman completely with his arms outstretched over the top of his head right in front of him. It didn't really make sense to throw it there. He could have shuffled around, found a better window. But it, uh, even though it was an ill-advised throw, it definitely shouldn't have gone the way it did where it's tipped all the way into the air, falls into a Browns defender's hands. But when you do make bad decisions like that or you're throwing it right out of defender's arms – that could very much happen. And then the first pick I did think was more his fault. It was at the end of the half. Maybe there was a little bit of a miscommunication there, or most likely it was because his receiver just kept running down the sideline and he threw it like a comeback. And it was just easy to uh, interception for uh, the defender. But like we've talked about on this pod before plays like that to me, uh, everyone's at fault. I I'm not really sure what's going on there. Uh, but it did seem like his receiver was getting open deep down the field, uh, given the situation and how they needed to kind of push the ball downfield. And obviously getting a touchdown in that situation never hurts. Uh, even when you see it at the point of when Lamar throws the ball, it does seem like uh, that receiver had the DB beat, had a little bit of outside leverage too. So to me, the throw he made just didn't make sense, just didn't seem like a right read of the situation and just gives them a very easy pick. Uh, however, those two picks aren't the worst in the world, not the worst read. To me, uh, this ends up being a bad game mainly because of the rest of it. Uh, and I will point out a couple of good plays coming out in that second half. He does have one really good drive on that Odell touchdown drive. The throw before it, he fits it into a really tight window over the middle of the field uh, between two linebackers to Zay Flowers. And right after, he hits a very, very tight window slant to Odell. And a lot of those 40 yards just came from Odell breaking a tackle. And somehow in 2023, we saw Odell outrun a safety and just run down the field for a touchdown. Uh, but as good as that drive was, I feel like that inflated his stats massively. That 40-yard touchdown pass, if you don't include it, he his overall day looks pretty bad. And to me, the reason for that is because 
he was not aggressive whatsoever. A lot of his passes came underneath. A lot of checkdowns to guys like uh, Keaton Mitchell, Gus Edwards, and a lot of yak yardage coming from that. He wasn't really connecting with Mark Andrews much. There was one big play for him for roughly 36 yards, but in general, he wasn't connecting with Andrews. Uh, with Zay Flowers, it was a lot of just quick passes underneath. It wasn't Lamar Jackson we've seen the rest of the year who is able to mix up what he's doing, go intermediate, go short, go deep too when necessary. Uh, and I don't really think he was very impactful in the rushing game in this one where he should have been. Uh, this Browns defense, they've got a great front seven, and the best way to slow that down would have been Lamar Jackson just scrambling around using his feet. But instead, I feel like he let the pressure get to him. He was getting sacked too much for my li liking. He let the pressure affect his uh, uh, mechanics and a lot of just errant passes as a result of that as well. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the big mistakes that made this a bad game for me, which would be those interceptions. It was the rest of the game to where nothing really was going on. There was the, a couple of uh, breakthrough plays where from defensive lapses kind of made this game seem better from Lamar on paper than it was. But in general, it was a lot of just very, very ultra-conservative play, something not really you see a lot of from Lamar Jackson, especially this season when he's been really, really good. Yeah, so the first interception to me was on Lamar, not because it's miscommunication, but because, like, even if the receiver runs the route correctly, the ball is, like, left, like, way inside. So even if it is a back shoulder, like, that's the wrong place to put the back shoulder. It's, like, perfectly set up for the DB to get a play there. Um, and there was one more play for Lamar where um, there, there was defensive holding in the end zone, but – he, I don't think he ends up seeing the defensive holding, and he ends up throwing it right to a defender um, in the end zone. So I think he kind of got bailed there. He could count that as a turnover play. I don't chart um, penalized plays, but um, that's something worth looking into. And aside from that, yeah, he didn't really um, push the ball down the field successfully much at all. Um, yeah, so moving on from Lamar to uh, another quarterback who had a tough game, um, going back to that Niners-Jags game, man, and it's Trevor Lawrence. Um, this was an awful performance from the Jaguars offense overall. Um, start off on the first drive with um, a short completion to uh, Tim Jones. Good throw there. But then um, he takes a sack on – well, he's trying to um, set up a, a screen pass to Jamal Agnew, but Jamal Agnew doesn't run the screen. So uh, that, that kind of kills the drive there. Um, after um, – on, on the next drive, um, ETN uh, – or rather – um, he throws a short one to to Evan Ingram and then takes another sack. Um, not really on him again. Uh, next drive, another punt. Um, the He hits um, Tim Jones again for a 12-yard gain. Um, and then after a couple of incompletions, they have to punt. Um, next drive ends with a fumble, but this this time it, uh, the drive ending is on Trevor Lawrence. Um, he takes a sack um, from Bosa and Young, but can't hold on to the football fumbles. Um, that's his first turnover-worthy play of the game. Um, the next drive, they finally get on the board. Lawrence hits uh, Christian Kirk for a 15-yard gain, um, and then another 15-yard gain. Um, and then he hits Dearness Johnson um, for a 13-yard gain, Christian Christian Kirk again for a 5-yard gain. Um, they continue to chunk their way down the field with um, another 17-yard gain to Christian Kirk, a 6-yard gain to uh, Evan Ingram, followed by a 2-yard gain to Tank Bigsby. Um, 
And then after an incompletion, they're forced to kick a field goal. Um, their next drive after the first half is over. Um, this one ends in an interception, but this one wasn't really on Trevor. Um, he takes a sack on the first play, but then hits Calvin Ridley for a nice throw uh, for an 11-yard gain. Um, and then it hits Christian Kirk for a 26-yard gain. Um, then after a scramble, um, his next pass is an interception, but this one goes through Tank's big, Tank Bigsby's hands, um, and I don't think it was on Trevor for that interception. Um, the next one, the Jags, again, um, tough, tough play because um, ends with a fumble. Um, uh, Lawrence hits Ridley for a short gain for nine yards um, and then hits Travis Etienne for a five-yard gain. Um, then throws a great one to, to Christian Kirk for a 39-yard gain. Um, and then Christian Kirk um, catches the ball and fumbles, and that's the end of the drive. Um, the next drive for Trevor is ends with an interception, but this, like, okay, I'll, I'll get to it when I get there. Um, Lawrence has an incompletion to Evan Ingram and then takes a sack um, from Nick Bosa. This one I thought was actually the first one on him. Uh, and then has a short check down to Travis Etienne. And then fourth down, um, trying to make a play. Um, this this one does count as a turnover-worthy play for me, but because it's fourth and 15 and you do have to make a play, and he's trying to throw it deep, gets crunched, um, and through the hit, the the accuracy just totally is not there, um, ends up with as an interception. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like, the Jags offense doesn't do anything beyond that point. Um, the next drive, a couple of incompletions and then a short completion to Evan Ingram for a loss of four yards. Um, and then Trevor Lawrence is just pulled from the game. So um, not really many explosive plays to make up for the turnover-worthy plays for Trevor Lawrence. Even if I did downweight the second uh, turnover-worthy play, it's just not enough to get there. And Lawrence finishes with um, a solidly below-average game in this one, um, with the interceptable pass being his fault, technically, and the fumble, which was a pretty bad play. So, uh, yeah, struggling Jaguars offense. We'll see how they respond to it in, in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely agree with this Jaguars offense kind of being completely shut down. And it was fantastic to see as a Niners fan. Obviously, with their three-game skid, the defense was looking very questionable. And it was huge coming in, beating this uh, very uh, high-momentum team offensively uh, with this Jaguars team coming into this game. And honestly, a little bit surprising the way they played in this one. I didn't expect them to go away from who I'd say was their biggest uh, playmaker thus far this season in Travis Etienne uh, to the extent they did at least, even if that run game wasn't necessarily working. I thought he'd get the ball a lot more with screens, check down stuff, just to get uh, him the ball over the middle of the field or just get him the ball in space, let him do his thing. Uh, for whatever reason, they didn't go to that. But in general, uh, it, it was a very stagnant offense from this Jaguars team. And I do agree a lot of it had to do with Lawrence. I feel like his accuracy, though his receivers were not helping him whatsoever in terms of getting open, particularly Calvin Ridley, it seemed like he was getting uh, boxed up all game. I still feel like Lawrence's uh, accuracy was lacking a bit. A couple of tight window throws, which I felt like he could have made, uh, which he didn't. 
uh, to me that uh, that fumble was also pretty bad. Uh, I know you commented on that second uh, interception being maybe uh, a little bit forced considering the situation as and that he was getting hit as he threw. But I think that interception, I give it a little bit less leeway there because of kind of the plays that ensued before. Uh, I think he missed a couple of throws on those previous passes and took a bad sack to kind of get him in that position. And that's why he was kind of forced to make that play. So that interception can't take too much off of it. And a little bit disappointed. I, I know Trevor Lawrence was obviously supposed to take a huge leap. And this team definitely hasn't made it easy. They haven't made it uh, an environment conducive for him to become that elite quarterback. Uh, but at the rate he's going, he's not really matching that second half Trevor Lawrence that we saw last year, at least in my opinion. And I think games like this against tough defenses do kind of show if Trevor Lawrence will be able to come out against teams that are able to stop his strong suits and force him to do what he's not as good at. And when he's still making uh, the boneheaded mistakes he is making, putting the ball in harm's way while still not making up for it with the explosives, it makes it really tough for him. And it's, it's tough, but it is what it is. And I'm sure Trevor Lawrence will bounce back. Uh, but moving on to another young quarterback who had a pretty rough day again after a hot start. And that's Will Levis. Uh, Will Levis uh, was pretty bad throughout this game, and I think for me, uh, I can kind of sum up his whole game in one uh, in a couple of drives in early in the second half. Uh, in, in one of his first drives in that second half, I think his first one after the Bucks came down and scored a touchdown, we saw them move the ball a little bit, uh, a couple of passes, one big third down completion because he checks it down to Ty J Spears, who makes two huge missed tackles, gets them the first. Uh, but then in the ensuing uh, uh, set of downs, he misses on second down after a negative one yard rush on first down, misses on third down and a fourth down. He pretty much throws a pick and the defender drops it. And I feel like that kind of sums up Will Levis's day in general. He was wildly inaccurate in my opinion, which is something we did talk about after that first game, something he'd struggle with once defenses decide, okay, we'll just sit back on Will Levis, see what he can do in that uh, short and intermediate range of the field. And he has disappointed massively, to put it lightly. He is missing throws left and right. Uh, and I feel like a lot of high passes from him too. I don't know if that's a product of him having a strong arm that he's not really able to replicate. In fact, I thought he had two drop picks in this game, and both of those, including the one I just mentioned, were dropped largely because he threw it high and the defender simply wasn't just able to jump up and grab it. And the one interception that he did throw I also thought was super ill-advised. He's just kind of throwing it deep for the sake of throwing it deep. He didn't have anyone open. Uh, gets it picked up by Anton Wilf, uh, Winfield pretty easily. Uh, also, the sacks that he was taking, I don't think the Bucks, uh were necessarily sending enough pressure to warrant the um, amount of times it, se it seemed like Levis was under duress. Uh, he was holding the ball a lot, and those four sacks, I think three of them I put as his fault. And granted, I will say the run game was absolutely non-existent. Both Derrick Henry and Spears could not get it going. Uh, his best receiver in DeAndre Hopkins was not getting open. And the rest of that receiving core is uh, mediocre at best. 
So uh, Levis certainly was not put in a good situation. We saw Ryan Tannehill perform just as bad in situ- in some games in the same situation. So uh, I do have to give him that. But still, I'm not really seeing much redeeming qualities. There was maybe one good big throw to Kyle Phillips that I saw all game. Aside from that, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of just quick reads, getting it out to the first guy he can see open rather than letting the play develop. Uh, doing his thing as a quarterback, a, l- a little bit concerning of a game, especially against the Bucks defense. That's good, but still very average, very mediocre. Not a team that I see uh, young quarterbacks necessarily struggling to this extent versus. And we did just see uh, C.J. Stroud light up the same defense. So uh, definitely a point of concern for me. Yeah, we'll love this. Um, we always said that the hype was – really quick to to crown him as um the, the franchise savior but i think that like inconsistency uh steps along the way this is to be expected with will levis his his game is not something that you just just kind of expect him to be great playing and play out um he is going to take his lumps uh quite often all right so let's move on to another inconsistent quarterback and another one that's out for the year and that's deshaun watson um, Watson was really awful in the first half of this game against the Ravens. Um, and I think that um, the biggest thing for me for, for Watson was the accuracy. Um, he just consistently seemed to miss throws um, that we've come to expect from him in the past. And um, yeah, he just wasn't hitting them. Um, he came back in the second half and had um, a really strong performance, but. Um, I didn't think that was enough to rescue him having a really, really awful first half. So I'll get into it in terms of play-by-play stuff. So he starts off first pass of the game. That's pick six, but I didn't think that that was really on him. Um, batted pass goes flying up in the air from Kyle Hamilton and um, turns into a pick six. Next drive, though, this is one of the bad stuff starts. So a um, couple of incompletions. First one to Elijah Moore and David Njoku. Not great ball placement on either of them. Um, the next drive is their first scoring drive. Um, incompletions to uh, incompletion to Amari Cooper and then a throwaway, um, and then first completion to Elijah Moore for a 19-yard gain on a short pass. Um, he then has a couple of incompletions once they get into the red zone and they are forced to kick a field goal. Um, the next drive, um, he has a scramble for six yards and then takes a sack for a three-yard loss, which was on him, um, and they're forced to punt. Um, Next drive, another field goal drive. Um, hits Amari Cooper down the field, but the ball wasn't a great throw. Um, puts it very low and in a catchable spot, but Amari Cooper has to go low to get it uh, for a 17-yard gain. Um, then after three and six-yard scrambles to pick up a first down, he misses Cedric Tillman deep. Um, then he hits Elijah Moore on a short pass for um, two-yard gain um, and then has a scramble for a two-yard gain and then a short pass to David Njoku for a four-yard gain, um, and then they kick another field goal. Um, the next play, or the next drive um, for Deshaun Watson, he hits Amari Cooper on a short pass for uh, a 28-yard gain, um, then takes a sack on first down in the red zone, which is on him, um, and then has an incompletion uh, on a third down to Amari Cooper. Um, the, set, or the next drive for Deshaun Watson is uh, starts off with a scramble and then another incompletion. And then a short pass to Elijah Moore for a nine-yard gain. And then a couple of couple more incompletions. Um, and then P.J. Walker comes in to throw a Hail Mary, uh, comes up short of the end zone. Um, 
in the second half, um, it's a lot cleaner for Watson. So they go on a really long touchdown drive. Um, Watson hitting a ton of short passes to Elijah Moore, then to Mari Cooper, um, then has a scramble for a three-yard gain, um, and then has another short gain to, to Aikens, Jordan Aikens, for an eight-yard gain. Um, he then hits um, Bryant for a three-yard gain and the David Njoku for uh, an 11-yard gain, um, and then finds David Njoku again for a nine-yard gain, and then Amari Cooper for a six-yard gain, and then they punch in the touchdown. Um, and then the two-point conversion where Deshaun Watson scrambles in for the touchdown or for the two-point conversion. Um, and then their next drive, um, Watson takes a sack on first down, then finally hits a big play to Amari Cooper for a 25-yard gain. Um, a short pass to David Njoku for a 23-yard gain. Um, and then Watson hits Elijah Moore for a 10-yard touchdown. Um, the next pass um, comes on a, a game-winning drive attempt. Um, Watson hits David Njoku for an 11-yard gain um, and then a two-yard gain to Jerome Ford. Um, he has a sack and then fumbles, um, which was a turnover-worthy play for Watson, so contributing there. Um, the, the Browns are able to recover, though, and continue on that drive. Um, he hits Amari Cooper for a 17-yard gain and then scrambles for a 16-yard gain. Um, and then the Browns are able to get their use their run game to kind of wind the clock. Um, and I think that this game overall um, was impressive for Watson from a standpoint of playing through injury. Um, he played through a broken bone in his shoulder that we've come to know has ruled him out for the year. Um, also had a high ankle sprain. Um, I sent Potty a play. Uh, earlier where at the end of the second quarter he was trying to make a play outside the pocket and he just like looks like he's limping and like hopping and hop hobbling around um it was incredible that they even allowed um yeah overall the turnover worthy plays from watson and the fact that he was just throwing short passes constantly um just comes comes out to uh, a poor performance for me and that combined with the sacks um just doesn't give him um anyway to have a good performance so yeah not not a great game for watson here with the the combination of issues that i mentioned yeah i i almost forgot actually that he's out for the season as well man a lot of qb injuries uh right now a lot of season ending ones we're gonna run out of people to talk about soon but yeah i i agree with you that this game Watson did not play well, but I also, like you, kind of am taking with a grain of salt when you have games like these, and we've talked about with other guys, playing through injury, you do have to give them a little bit of leeway, uh, and Watson was very, very much clearly injured, I remember that clip PD sent me, uh, he looked very hobbled, he could barely move around, it, it was rough, and it's honestly pretty surprising that he was even uh, let on this field to play this game, especially considering the news we've heard uh, since this game has happened. But regardless, he was on the field, and on the field he did play pretty poorly. I think the lack of mobility was a big reason why all those sacks were happening. And I also think he just wasn't able to drive the ball as well as he can, as we know he can. However, this is another... I'd say disappointing season for Deshaun Watson, uh, ending with a very disappointingly with obviously him not uh, being able to play the rest of this season. And even in the nine games we've had thus far, I don't even remember how many he has played because he's been dealing, coming in and out with injuries as well. Uh, for, with all, especially with all the off field stuff and now what we're seeing on the field, this trade's looking to be 
pretty, pretty bad for this Browns team. And had they held on to one of the guys who they let go of, whether it was Josh Dobbs at the start of the uh, at the uh, in the offseason, a guy they had on their roster, even guys like Jacoby Brissett, who they had last year, they may be in a better situation now than having to force forcefully play PJ Walker now while simultaneously trying to get into the playoffs or either PJ Walker or DTR, whoever they end up going with. Uh, I think it's DTR this week. Uh, really, really tough situation for them, but considering the trade maybe, maybe a little deserved with how much fate was put into a guy who hadn't really played. And obviously we know the other stuff about him, uh, but moving on from a, a guy like him to a guy who we consider, uh, and I think most people consider one of the best quarterbacks of the uh, of the season, uh, or in the league right now, I should say. And he's having a pretty rough patch. I think this is it's getting a lot of media attention now. I think this Broncos game really put it on notice. Uh, and I think now people are starting to overblow it. People are hating on Allen more than necessary. Uh, but Josh Allen definitely struggling, and we saw one of his worst games of the season, I'd say second worst of the season, uh, against this Broncos team. And we talked a little bit about in the Pro Bowl episode uh, how this is a f- how the offensive scheme change has affected Allen, and I'll talk a little bit about it here. But to me, this game single-handedly dropped him from while well, he had as our top tier in that Pro Bowl episode to the second tier. Because after seeing this game, it's getting to the point to me where it's like, he's racking up a lot of these bad games, a lot of games where he himself is throwing his team out of the game. He himself is openly losing games for his team. And it sucks because even within these games, we're seeing flashes of like, the Allen we know, the Allen who is hitting deep throws and is torching defenses. But then we see absolutely boneheaded plays, and maybe it's because he's forced to throw a lot more intermediate passes in this game, a lot more passes with anticipation and good accuracy, which isn't really his forte, and I don't really know why the Bills have struggled, uh, structured an offense around that aspect of his game. But we're seeing defenses and the scheme force them to do that more, and that's why we're getting to a lot of these turnover-worthy plays. And to clear up some of what happened in this one, I'd say that first interception, really not his fault whatsoever. Yeah, he threw it high and maybe a little bit behind Gabe Davis on a route coming over the middle of the field early in that game, but still very much right above his head, hit both his hands. Gabe Davis pops it behind him for interception. Uh, not really much... Uh, Allen can do there aside from maybe put it a little bit lower and that honestly echoes my thoughts on his first half performance in general I didn't think he was that bad Uh, obviously the first drive was ruined by James Cook fumble he makes a couple of good throws in that second drive where it ends with that Gabe Davis interception including a pass to Gabe Davis on a third and 16 for 18 yards fits it into a really tight window and puts it low right at that first start down marker textbook quarterback play right there and uh, g- gets it to him. And even in the ensuing drives, uh, uh, one to the end, uh, to end the half for, for a touchdown, I thought that was one of his better pl- uh, drives of the entire game. He does a great job of fitting it to Dalton Kincaid down the right side of the field. Kincaid does get wide open there. Uh, I, it was a little bit of a defensive lapse, but still on the money from Allen. Even before that, we do see a 
uh, a great pass to Stephon Diggs on like a little out route uh, left side of the field. Uh, but that first half still did have a little bit of missed throws on previous drives, a little bit of uh, uh, inaccuracy from Allen, as I've said, as he is forced to throw a lot more underneath. But the second half is what pushed this game to the really bad territory, and it absolutely confused me what even got into Allen because it looked night and day from what we saw. Uh, I and even in the even here it starts a little bit not as rough as you would expect. Uh, one uh one drive that goes to waste because of him making a couple of bad passes and ends up and they end up punting, but they do have a touchdown drive primarily uh running the football here, but. Uh, Allen does have a pretty big throw to Khalil Shakir here to get them downfield. However, James Cook and uh, Latavius Murray were pretty much the driving factors there. And then that's where things start. Uh, oh, I, I did miss the interception earlier. That was, the second interception, I'd say, was probably his worst play of the game. It was a pass on the sideline towards the end of the half. Uh, they were trying to go out of bounds, and it was a pretty – a uh, simple route concept, which in this stage you really don't want to see out of your offensive play callers, and a simple out route that like that is pretty easy to jump. But it seemed covered the whole way, and even if it wasn't covered, and Allen was just trying to fit it in there, he misses that out route by like five yards inside. It was even inside for the defender who was inside of the receiver, so way, way, way to inside. And then the second one comes after that touchdown drive where Allen simply drops the ball. Like, there's no other way I can put it. He's handing the ball off to James Cook, and literally the ball falls from his hands and ends up as a fumble. And now this isn't something that I expect to stay long-term with Allen, obviously not really a mistake that will occur uh, consistently, but still like a boneheaded mistake, which you simply can't do in a tie game uh, that late in the game as well, especially when he's already thrown a pretty bad pick. And yeah, the, that kind of ruins the game for me. He does uh, later in the game uh, scramble for a touchdown, pretty smart play from him to not throw to Kincaid and just take it himself. But even that drive came off the back of a little bit of luck. Cook, uh, James Cook fumbles to himself and ends up somehow making like a 50-yard play out of it. Uh, it was a little weird, but to me, what really stood out was down the line of this game, the Bills kind of took it out of Josh Allen's hands because of those uh, turnovers. I mean, you see a pretty low-volume passing game from him. And uh, at home against a weak team like the Broncos, you really don't expect that. But when he turns it over as much as he does, you see it, he was 15 for 26, and watching the film, that wasn't a mistake. He was very, very much inaccurate in this one. Didn't really get things going with any of his receivers in this one, and I felt like Diggs was open consistently. Uh, Gabe Davis wasn't really open, but Kincaid was open consistently, and Allen just wasn't getting it to his guys. And I think it's a combo of the system being bad, Allen not being necessarily good in that system, but just him also having games like this where he's taking a big step back from what we know him to be uh just annoying to see for sure yeah Alan in this game um i didn't think he was horrible as a passer so he has the, the turnover he plays um the interceptor interceptable pass um that gets called back on the first drive because of holding um and then the uh interception that he throws to the end of the first half but i think he made up for that in the passing game with 
um, some explosive plays down the field. The issue was like the the drop snap that he had on James to, to James Cook that just kind of put it over the top for me, and that that's what ended up turning it into a bad game. So, yeah, um, what is this the second third bad game of the season for Josh Allen? Um, he usually has something like four bad games a year, um, which is not for me to say like he's only going to have one bad game the rest of the year, but uh, that wouldn't shock me for sure. Um, he's he's very capable of going on these hot and cold streaks, and um, yeah, this is another week where that happened. All right, so let's move on to our preview of week 11. Let's get into our three questions each. I'll start it off um, with a team that's coming back from bye um, and in a great matchup for them, and that's the Miami Dolphins. So um, Tua is back this week. Um, how do you think he fares against the Raiders defense that's playing a little bit energized, a little bit better with uh, a new head coach? Um, do you think that the Raiders defense has a good chance to match up with Tyreek Hill or the rest? Yeah, I do like that you mentioned that with their new head coach and kind of new identity almost with this Raiders team kind of going back to uh, what are the rough and tough Raiders, whatever you want to call it. They have kind of rejuvenized themselves and look better as a team. Uh, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, personnel does matter. And as much as the vibes are good, things are looking up for this Raiders team. I don't think they have any chance to stop this Dolphins offense. I don't think they have nearly as good of uh, uh, DVs that they need to keep up with uh, uh, this Dolphins team. They have a guy in Marcus Peters who's primarily a man corner, and I really don't see him being able to match up with Tyreek Hill whatsoever. Maybe they try to shadow him with Waddle, who, yeah, he's been dealing with injuries and maybe not been as good as uh, he has been in the past see, uh, in last season, but even him, I don't really expect Peters to be able to keep up with that. Uh, they do have an elite pass rusher and a guy like Max Crosby, but the rest of this defensive line is pretty weak. And to me, that's really the only way you can stop this Dolphins defense. That's their clear weak point. Uh, they don't necessarily have the offensive line to keep up with uh, elite defensive lines. We saw that in the Eagles game. We saw that in the Bills game. It happens consistently versus good defenses. But this is just another one of those bad defenses, which the Dolphins will roll through. Uh, they're getting a huge uh, contributor in A-chain back as well. I think they're going to run it down the throat of this Raiders team. And when they decide they want to stop that, I think Tyreek Hill will be roaming free. I think Jalen Waddle will be roaming free. And I think uh, Tyreek, I, I th sorry, I think Tua has a field gay in this game. Uh, yeah, I don't really expect nothing much else from this game. And going on to another guy who maybe needs a bounce back himself, the guy we just talked about in Josh Allen. Now we saw in week one uh, against the same Jets team, Josh Allen struggle massively, have pretty much his worst game of the year, one of his worst games of his career probably. How do you think he fares this time around against the Jets, this time at home? Yeah, so Allen um, against the Jets, Allen kind of, has been getting owned by the Jets for a few years now. Um, the Jets defense, just kind of really, really strong. Um, this unit that they put together over the past few years has been really, really uh, great at stopping the Bills offense. And um, I think that assuming that they have some sort of change in terms of offense philosophy, like just less, less of the screens to James Cook and Dalton Kincaid, like I've been saying for like four weeks now, um, I, mm -hmm. as long as they do that less, they're giving Allen more chances to make explosive plays because I almost feel certain that turnover worthy plays are coming in this game. 
um, because of the strength of the, the Jets defense. So um, I, I think there's potential for a game that ends up like above average if Allen's able to make up for it with explosive plays. But if they take the ball out of his hands and decide to throw short passes to James Cook and Dalton Kincaid and run the ball, like that, that's not going to be um, an avenue for them to succeed offensively because this Jets defense is too good at stuffing up, stuffing out the easy stuff. All right, um, let's go to a big-time mismatch um, that I don't have high expectations for, but I just want to ask about it anyway. Um, Panthers coming off their mini-buy against the the Cowboys. Um, And do you think that this is an opportunity for them to be rejuvenated after uh, 10 days of rest um, against the Cowboys defense that's – or Cowboys team that's on fire right now? But um, do you think that there's any potential that this is the week that it clicks for the Panthers offense? Uh. Long answer to make it short, absolutely not. I think this is a terrible matchup for this Panthers offense. And yeah, sure, they're at home and maybe coming off that Thursday night game, having a little bit extra time to prepare. Maybe this is a good situation for them, but this on the field, it's not a good situation for them whatsoever. Uh, We're seeing historically bad levels of pass blocking from this Panthers offensive line. And now you're expecting them to come out and block Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, It's just not happening. This Dallas offensive line is going to dominate the Panthers offensively. Uh, And Bryce Young, obviously being a smaller guy, not really someone who can stay stay in the pocket and take those hits consistently. Uh, It's a lot easier to get sacks on him. And it seems like that's going to be the case. They're going to smother him. And we've seen in previous weeks when there's that much pressure, not really anyone can be successful but i'm sure there's some guys who are good at playmaking who are good bigger guys who can make maybe take the pressure and hits who can do decently with a terrible situation like that uh unfortunately bryce young's not one of those quarterbacks and i don't see things going better there and to top it off uh the dbs of this cowboys team even with missing trayvon diggs have absolutely stepped it up Deron Bland's having a crazy year, and he's making up for some of the kind of ball hawking ability that you're missing out with Trayvon Diggs. Gilmore's maybe not not nowhere near what prime Gilmore was, but still done a great job as uh, another corner there. And whatever the lack of receiving talent the Panthers have, uh, I think absolutely gets locked up by this uh, defense. Uh, and not to mention the Cowboys are rolling offensively, which is going to make it even harder for this Panthers offense. They're most likely going to be playing from down the whole game and forcing Bryce Young to throw the ball a lot. So, yeah, like I said, long story short, this is not going to look good for this Panthers offense. And uh, like you came in with, it's a mismatch. So that's very much expected. Uh, and moving on to another team who kind of needs to bounce back off a weak performance. Uh, we talked about how Trevor Lawrence played versus the Niners, but that is a really good offense. And we saw the past four weeks, they came in with a four-game winning streak, all scoring a lot of points. This offense was rolling. Uh, but those obviously came against mostly weak defenses. So my question is, how do you think this Jaguars offense at home recovers against Titans defense, who's Obviously not as good as the Niners' defense, but still a very decent defense. Yeah, so the Jaguars don't seem to trust their pass protection with the way that they're pot- – well, I can't say that for sure, but if the play caller is making the right decisions, which I'm not sure he is um, with Press Taylor, then they don't trust their pass protection, calling so many short passes 
um, and just try to get the ball out of Trevor's hands as quickly as possible. Now, if that changes this week and they decide to take some deep shots, I think they have the personnel to do that. But um, as long as the offense just stays like very conservative and not wanting to take uh, shots downfield, um, yeah, there's there's not a good recipe for um, the Jags to be very explosive. Um, the, the only way they end up being explosive is if um, Trevor just forces it into a tight window, which he has done a lot this year um, and is successful. The issue is that with the lack of physicality, especially like along the sidelines, with Calvin Ridley especially, um, and Christian Kirk even too, like they haven't been able to toe drag their feet in bounds on a number of these impressive throws from Trevor Lawrence. Um, and I just feel like um, the explosive plays for the Jaguars is an area that's not necessarily coming anytime soon. As long as, as, long as their play calling is um, as conservative as it is, I, I don't have very much trust in the Jaguars offense to have big games but maybe maybe they push their their play calling tendencies up to high this game and um we get a good one all right so with the return of matthew stafford this week i wanted to shout him out and talk about him um how do you think he looks against the seahawks defense which has been kind of up and down this season a lot of young playmakers um and i think that there's potential here for stafford to have um a high end game or a low end game but uh, what do you think coming off an injury yeah, honestly, with Stafford, it's really weird because last year we did see Stafford come off that elbow injury uh, in the offseason, and he definitely struggled for almost the entirety of last year with it. He didn't look the same. He almost, a, a lot of us, including me and you, thought he was washed as a result of it. And obviously, this is a little bit less of an extreme injury. The elbow is obviously a much more important part of the arm. I believe this is a thumb injury. Still very major, obviously. He missed a lot of time with it. But I do think he's able to recover faster than what we saw in uh, last year's whole injury situation. However, in this game, I do expect uh, him to struggle a little bit. Not necessarily because I expect the Seahawks defense to be good. But I do think it takes a while for someone like Stafford, who's very much a rhythm quarterback, uh, very up and down and struggles to be consistent. I think he comes in kind of on a weak game. Uh, I think his accuracy is going to look a little bit off with how much time he's missed. And obviously, he's never not always been the most consistent with his accuracy. But right now, coming off missed time and uh, being a little bit, uh, what's what's the word, rusty, uh, he should struggle a bit. I do think the Seahawks kind of uh, strong suit on this defense is their DBs. And that's good because they should be able to match up better than a lot of teams can against Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua. I still think the Rams receiving core is on the stronger side here. So I do expect them to be open a lot. I do think they're going to run the ball decently. They're not getting Kyron Williams back. I do think this looks like a completely different game if they did have him back uh, this week for him because I think he's a great playmaker and would have carved up the Seahawks defense. And I think the lack of run game is going to put a little bit more uh, – pressure on Matthew Stafford to succeed a little bit higher volume passing game and I think he struggles with that I expect a couple of turnover worthy plays probably a pick or two uh, a lot of errant throws I'm sure he'll have some dimes too uh, in his return especially with uh, Cooper Cup kind of being fully back obviously when Stafford was uh, playing with him Cooper Cup had kind of just come back so uh, I'm sure they'll hit the ground running in future weeks with uh, Stafford back, but to me, this is not the week.
Uh, and moving on from that matchup to what I think is easily the matchup of, of, of the week, maybe even the matchup of the year. It's obviously a Super Bowl recap in prime time, Monday Night Football. And I'm going to go to the guy who ended up coming victorious in the Super Bowl uh, in Patrick Mahomes. How do you think Patrick Mahomes fares versus obviously a very, very elite Eagles defense, arguably better than what we saw in the Super Bowl last year, uh, with an inarguably worse offensive uh, side that he has this season? Yeah, so this matchup is interesting from Chiefs' perspective because their receivers are not like – so I think that the Eagles have some holes in their secondary that can be Mm -hmm. taken advantage of by teams with elite receiving cores, but Chiefs are – clearly not, not that and I think that they and they can afford to double and triple team Travis Kelsey and get away with one ones on the outside everywhere else um and their offensive line for the Chiefs I don't know I think it's possible that they pass protect low against the Eagles defensive line but um I wouldn't bet on it like I think that the Eagles defensive line creates some trouble and even if Patrick Mahomes isn't going to take a sack because he just avoids sacks like no one else in the, in the league right now um the the, the presence of pressure is always going to change the offense, and especially in when we know that the receivers, especially or except for Kelsey, uh, the receivers are not exactly great and making those high-level reads out of structure. Um, actually, other than Rasheed Rice as well, we'll see if he gets some snaps in this game. But um, if he doesn't, I think that the receiving core could struggle. Um, the Chiefs' offense has generally been pretty up and down this year, um, and I think a good defense like the Eagles could be a little bit tricky for them to, to manage. All right. That'll be all from us in this one. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do whatever you need to do on our platform that you're looking on. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at PD34 underscore and at Real Roman Potty 2. That'll be all from me. That'll be all from Potty. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Yeah, peace. Have a good one. Yeah, we